0: To tell Jack about the dowry. Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. I'm Kathleen Thompson, Progress Texas Executive Director.
1: I'm Sam Gonzalez, Progress Texas Digital Director. And I'm Chris Mosier, Progress Texas Podcasting Director and Producer. Plugged in Texas progressives have been following along to varying degrees of obsession with the historic impeachment trial of Attorney General Ken Paxton, a proceeding that has lived up to the expectations of observers who are here for the drama and intrigue.
0: But it's also easy for Texas progressives to forget that this is largely a Republican-led and orchestrated show. So the prospects of an outcome favorable to all Texans deserving justice, which includes Texas progressives, is a relative long shot almost regardless of whether or not the impeachment is eventually upheld and Ken Paxton has shown the door And by the way, for example, we just recently learned that our thrice indicted and now impeached attorney general will get to keep his $66,000 a year pension, even if he's convicted.
2: That there is depressing, KT. But uh, still, if you're like us and politics uh, more or less forms up your entertainment from day to day, it's been pretty fun to follow. And uh, we trust that the trial has been an interesting assignment for this week's guest, too. Justin Miller writes about politics and related topics for the Texas Observer uh, just this last Monday released a nice comprehensive update, the first of more to follow on the proceedings. Welcome, Justin Miller.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Justin, a journalist gets into this work in order to cover the big stories of the day, the stories that uh, make history. Would you say that this assignment has been a career highlight for you? And now that we're past the halfway point, do you still see it as being as important and as interesting as it was prior to its start?
3: Yeah, I definitely. I mean, it's it's so I think once in a lifetime opportunity as a reporter, given how historically rare this has been in Texas politics, you know, a lot yeah. being in the seventies and the last one of a statewide, uh, official, you know, about a century ago with, uh, pa Ferguson. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, to be able to be there in person watching the proceedings and, Covering it and following it after, you know, following it closely for, you know, two plus years, particular to the specific allegations in this case and and even longer just with Texan generally. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting moment just as a, you know, as a journalist and just a, a Texan. For sure. So I was there in person on the first day and, you know, that's when there was the most. Uh, people in attendance, the most press, most TV cameras. There were a lot of Paxton supporters that showed up there in person. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance with all of the senators one by one getting sworn in on the on the Bible of supposedly owned once by uh, Sam Houston. It got off to a kind of a slow start, but you know once we got into you know the witnesses coming, and this is the first time that we've heard in person from most of, most if not all of these uh, various
1: characters from the whistleblowers on down through everyone we've heard from so far. And like we mentioned before at the beginning, this is pretty much a Republican affair. The case is being presented by Republican House members, the defendant is a Republican, and the swing votes that matter are generally all Republicans as well. What impressions do you get that the Ken Paxton impeachment represents a divide in the Texas GOP? And how would you characterize it in terms of how, just how divided the party is now.
3: Yeah, I mean, there has been that kind of narrative that this is, you know, a, a product of a long boiling over civil war within the party between, you know, the establishment and their allies and the, you know, the insurgency, you know, kind of far right Trump allied faction with, you know. Paxton and Empower Texans and Tim Dunn and all you know Jonathan Strickland and all that all that right (laughs) I think there's you know there's truth to that certainly I think Republicans you know even you know very conservative Republicans um have I think pretty clearly grown increasingly fed up with just having to hear about all the various stuff coming from Ken Paxton and his office and you know with how long it's taken for anything legally to come to fruition? You know, with the securities fraud indictment still not going right. to trial, and right. um, you know, hearing about this FBI investigation sparked from these whistleblowers now for two years, and it, in in Paxson in this trial, you know, through his lawyers and, and ahead of it has tried to cast this as you know the establishment quasi. Dems, the rhinos coming after him because he's doing too good of a job going after big (laughs) tech and big pharma.
1: What I described, uh, I believe, to Chris, or even the chat, I wrote in is the defense. He's not guilty because he's so cool. He's so handsome. He's so good at his job. He could do a kickflip. It was like, enough is too much, guy. Like, we get it. He's.
3: Yeah, he's a kind and gentle soul who would never, uh, you know, do anything (laughs) wrong and, and, Right. And that this is all, you know, this is the,
1: the Bushies coming back from the dead through yeah. George P. Bush. No. That name Johnny check G- was so like, oh, That's, right, that's Just, right. The Bush was coming back. The other one that got me was, my wife is sick right now, and I'm here defending Ken Paxton. Forget her. Ken Paxton deserves to be defended over my sick wife. Oh, my what? Lord. What? Who he also
3: mentioned, made Made sure to note that she, his wife, does not like Ken Paxton. Yes.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I'm here defending oh. a guy my wife don't even like because that's how good of a guy he is. I mean, we
2: <laughs> we kind of josh around here a little bit, but but that actually is a, a pretty uh, a close to you know part of what the, the the core of the defense was was that the the voters know about all this, and the voters are cool with it because they like Ken. So why are we even here? I mean, that was a primary part of the way they were trying to defend this whole thing. Uh, right. Justin, and you've hit on a couple of things there that are really interesting. So there's this FBI investigation, there's the securities fraud and, uh, uh, indictment that's still floating out there. Uh, and we've also talked about that, you know, regardless of how this comes out in this impeachment hearing, he gets to keep his pension, you know, Abbott's just going to probably appoint somebody who's as bad or worse than, than, he is maybe. So, you know, in terms of the outcome for all of us, it's pretty dubious, but what follows this for Ken Paxton? He's still got a lot of trouble to get through after this is over.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is uh, like like it said. I think there's the securities fraud trial is is pending upon you, you know they they push back the the trial date of that until after the impeachment. Um, but that is now you know that finally has a, a set trial date, I believe. Um, and then it sounds like the FBI is just you know or DOJ are are sitting back and just watching, probably investigating continuously while during all these proceedings too, and watching very carefully how this unfolds and then right you know we've, we've heard a couple details about through the testimony and in, in impeachment about witnesses who have been interviewed by the FBI including his executive aide who just testified earlier today Drew Wicker um, and how Paxton tried to initially get him to not say anything to the fbi and, and have uh oag counsel represent him instead of uh his own lawyer and, and he was wise enough not to to do that and ultimately did talk to them and heard some details about others testifying before a grand jury so it, it sounds like they you know it's been kind of a big black box in terms of exactly what the fbi has been doing what the status of the case is But I expect if they're going to do anything, it's going to come. I think there's going to be some developments pretty quickly after after this.
0: Justin, one of the more interesting aspects of all this, and it is kind of tawdry, has been the fact that an extramarital affair on the part of Ken Paxton is right at the center of the accusations of wrongdoing, and this whole thing is unfolding right in front of his wife, Senator Angela Paxton, who's required to attend the trial while her husband skips out. I don't myself follow her online, but Twitter is putting her daily tweets with Bible quotes in my feed. She's very much playing a victim, not of her husband, but of the Republicans that he hired who found his conduct alarming and who ultimately turned him into the FBI. Can you give us a sense of how other participants seem to react to all this? Does there appear to be sympathy for Senator Paxton? And how do you read the vibes coming from her through these long days of testimony?
3: Yeah, it's it's hard to get, you know, really good sense because, you know, if you're there in person, you're up in the gallery and you can't see, depending on where you're sitting, most angles, you can't really get a read of facial expressions and stuff. But she's been, uh, you know, I think maintaining a, a stoic face throughout all, all of it. She's, you know, taking notes and I think she's, just, you know, just, you know, grinning and bearing through it, I think. Um mm. So it is. It is a. I I imagine a very strange internal dynamic within the Senate, given how you know sensitive a lot of the allegations of the affair are, and you know there's that that was first broached yesterday uh, by the testimony from Paxton's former chief of staff, Missy Carey, about how she found out about the affair and confronted Paxton, and how she was there at the meeting where Ken and Angela uh, revealed that. I kind of been having an affair and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. So, it's uh, what what hasn't happened yet, and I think is is the reason why this affair is even part of this whole thing, is that it's part of alleged bribery that, you know, quit pro quo, where, right. you know, Paxton did these things in exchange for, you know, getting uh, his kitchen remodeled by Nate Paul and uh, Nate Paul giving a job to his alleged mistress, um so she could be in austin and be closer to him we haven't gotten to that yet
2: could it possibly be that uh that this started out with perhaps nate paul finding out about this affair and paxton trying to maintain nate paul's silence That do i mean i don't i don't know if i read that or if that if my brain just went there has that been kind of any of the narratives when we're talking about this affair
3: uh it could be i mean there's whistleblowers testified that they believed that paxton was under distress in certain moments right. or uh right. that he was subject to blackmail um, like he had a gun to his head somebody said right that. and explicitly believed that the affair had some sort of role in that so yeah whether it was you know as a favor or um you know ultimately you know this was a leverage that napalm had in some form uh, remains to be seen
0: that was my thinking too, Chris, that one of the whistleblowers used the word that frantic, that Ken pa- Attorney General right. Ken Paxton was acting frantic. So I think the word extortion was was used as well. But, but I haven't heard that, that that's the allegation, but that's sure what it sounds like.
2: It's just, it's easier to imagine that it would be something that Ken Paxton was trying to maintain a secret rather than that he was paying his buddy back for redoing his kitchen. You know, that's, that's, that's the first of
1: those seems more likely. Right, and and it's, it's a kitchen that's apparently ugly, which is why it could never have been redone. <laughs> it's I've radial tile,
3: radial tile, certainly radial tile. Exactly the amount of the amount of time and and theatrics that
1: me has dedicated to the kitchen okay. uh, countertops right. since this whole thing came out. It's... Right, I was half inclined to hear him say, "Yeah, it has tile like you, the normals. Like it was like that's how removed <laughs> oh, he, he, he seemed he from baked, it, you know." They, he effectively
3: said that you know these are yeah. penny-pinching uh the penny-pinching paxton's can hardly couldn't even afford to do the remodel they wanted to and you know they don't have hardly right. any money so
1: exactly there's wow. just it was it was it was over the top i watched the first day and i was like i'll just read the updates i can't do this but speaking of senator paxton Justin, you also recently released an investigative piece in the Texas Observer on her involvement with a matter that so far hasn't been really coming into the orbit of the impeachment trial. Can you give us a breakdown of what's happening with all these shell companies and the government of Kosovo?
3: Yeah. So as far as I know, this is completely unrelated and will not come into the impeachment trial at all. Um, mm-hmm. And but this was you know, something I've been kind of digging into for weeks ahead of the impeachment and learned that Angela Paxton had served on the board of directors of this company called Multiband Global, which is owned and run by a guy named James Springy, who is a former lobbyist in Austin and who says he's you know best friends, longtime best friends with Ken Paxton. And I guess as part of her role on the board when they were the Paxtons took this trip, in to europe back in the summer of 2022 which has been reported on notably because of the lack of information about it Mm -hmm. originally you know before this um and i learned that one part of the trip that was not even disclosed in prior records was that they went to kosovo to meet with Mm -hmm. this parliamentary committee an official meeting about um 5g cybersecurity and the need for u.s uh involvement in expanding you know that type of technology in Kosovo but the upshot is there's still a lot of questions I think about the nature of their involvement with that company and with Frenzy himself um that you know I'm continuing to report on that when I can find the spare time during the, the proceedings too so
2: well, we'll uh we'll keep following that for sure and you know one interesting thing about uh about this whole thing has been uh, certain people seem to be deserving of some sympathy uh, for potentially having been used or sort of misled or, you know, fired without cause. And there are they're, they're they're a lot of, uh, you know, victims in this situation to a certain degree. Um, and, you know, kind of having chosen sides, I think, you know, with, with our bunch here at Progress Texas, I'd kind of thought that uh, we would discover that this outside lawyer uh, that Paxton had hired to kind of do his bidding – Uh, on the behalf of Nate Paul without the knowledge of the office would be kind of one of the bad guys. But it turns out that Brandon Kamek is a relatively young and somewhat inexperienced lawyer is kind of fresh faced and right out of law school and Paxton brings him in and sets him up with this case that's going to take guts to tackle. And of course, it seems like a great big opportunity for him. You can see that being rather exciting for a young lawyer. And then he gets basically hung out to dry and they don't even want to pay him at this point. Should we uh, should we be feeling sorry for Brandon Kamick about this point, Justin?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the House in their questioning definitely tried to pull together that that kind of impression of you know this this young lawyer who was was taken advantage of and and you know was used made to be a, kind of a useful dupe um, yeah. in this yeah. whole thing. Whether he should have known better and probably asked questions and come to a, a, a stronger realization as to what exactly was going on earlier, I think that's a valid question and, and maybe shouldn't have uh, should have been a little bit more uh, careful in <laughs> how he went about right carrying out his his duties as this supposed special prosecutor outside counsel. but yeah, th- I think that was among the most interesting and, and compelling testimony just given how, Clearly, it laid out. I guess you know how he was not you know necessarily you know a complicit. Was being used very uh, aggressively and explicitly by Paxton and Paul. You
2: expect kind of a Kool Aid drinking guy that may have come from this world of the of the Wilkeses and the Packs and and all of that stuff, you know. But it seems like this was just almost someone, like you said, that they picked out because they figured that he would go forward without asking a whole lot of questions. Yeah. Right.
0: Justin, we know that it's never safe to make hard predictions when it comes to Texas politics. But given that only six of the senators voted to forego the proceeding at the beginning, there absolutely has been time for minds to have changed one way or the other. And there also seems to be room for most of these senators to be able to vote how they see fit. Uh, Pressure from conservative PACs, at least at the beginning, did not have the chilling effect that it was designed for. If we could push you out on a limb a little, if you were a betting man, would you wager one way or the other how this might go?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I don't. know. It's almost a pointless exercise, but also, you know, it's hard to not indulge in, yeah. in that. You know, it's kind of fun. Not a, I'm not an expert in in you know trials or or you know, especially you know how you know judging trials at, at you know as they go, especially one like this where it's you know, more of a political trial, but. I've been kind of struck by how so far, and again, you know, we have a couple more days probably still left, but time is running out for the House prosecution to to make its its case. And I've, I've been struck by just kind of the they spent a lot of time, I think, introducing and laying the foundation with all of the whistleblowers in the first week. And that ate up a lot of time, and it, I don't think it added delivered any new a whole lot of new evidence or information that we haven't already seen in their own whistleblower report you know it's kind of fleshed out you know we still haven't seen you know kind of a smoking gun piece of new evidence or or testimony that really i think will deliver the sort of blow because this is again this is a remember this is a high burden that they have to meet beyond you know reasonable doubt You know, that's a high bar in a, you know, an actual court of law. And it's, uh, I think even more difficult in a political trial where if someone wants to vote against convicting, you know, they can point to a few things so far still that that would, you know, give them a a reason to do so. So I'm just thinking back to originally Rusty Harden, you know, when they first, uh, launched the the case and he was you know, the head lawyer said you know this is 10 times as worse as you guys know, right mm-hmm. um and i don't think they've delivered on that yet so we'll see we'll, we'll see it's kind of a long and winding answer but um it's <laughs> right. not
1: really even either but um I, mean,
3: right. I wouldn't well, su- i wouldn't be
1: surprised if they vote against impeachment well let's put it just in simple terms then If Ken Paxton is exonerated, what happens next? And on the other hand, if he's convicted, does that change anything for Texas?
3: If he's convicted, and I I think, I forget if they have to vote as well, come to a conclusion to remove him from office based on the vote to convict. But assuming he's removed from office, you know, that I think regardless, it's going to be, there's going to be a continuing internal battle within the Republican Party continuing this is not the sure. inclusive of that. Whoever, you know, if Paxton is impeached and convicted and removed from office, I think that only adds more fuel to the far rights fire in Texas. And if he's not, I think they're it only they're just gonna double down on, you know, see so you were you we're right and we're gonna come for anyone and everyone that uh was involved in this. Right.
0: Right. We're proud to have Texas Observer journalist, Justin Miller, bring us up to speed on the impeachment of Ken Paxton, which he's continuing to cover. Justin, thank you for your great work and for your time today on the show.
3: Appreciate it. Have a good one.
0: Thanks to digital director, Sam Gonzalez, podcasting director and producer, Chris Mosier, And listeners, thank you. At a time when other nonprofit Texas media companies are laying off staff or even coming close to closing, our work is more important than ever. We're shaping the narrative in traditional media, blogs, social posts, and pods, but we need your help to continue. Just 21 more new members will help us reach our September member drive goal. Please head on over to Progrestexas.org to donate. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you're opinionated like me, leave us a review. Y'all take care.
2: Progress Texas Happy Hour is a production of Progress Texas, a rapid response media organization promoting progressive messages and actions. Find us online at ProgressTexas.org and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The podcast is produced by me, Chris Mosier, and our featured music is by Walker Lukens. Please be sure and subscribe to the Progress Texas Happy Hour on the podcast platform of your choice. Take a moment to leave us a review if you've enjoyed the show and be sure and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening and for all you do to press progress forward here
0: in the Lone Star State. We'll see you again next week.